everyone, and welcome to episode 57 of the F1 show for coverage of the European Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau, and I've heard my American accent's a bit annoying, so I'm going to try and do this one in English English. <laughs> nice. That's nice. I like it. Yeah, I really don't think I can keep that up, but, uh, you know, i got to give it a shot. Yeah, you're, I think, would require a full case of Red Bull to handle that. I believe it might. Uh, but we have overcome the boundaries of space and time, and using the absolute latest in uh, technology, uh, Skype, uh, we are actually not uh, sitting across the table from each other, as per usual, and uh, Robin is actually many miles away in Chicago right now, so uh, hopefully that all works, and uh, we don't lose him partway through, and we can have an awesome podcast. In spirit, though, I am I have you right across the table from me. I'm actually, to be honest, sitting on an air mattress... Because uh, we're staying with friends in Chicago before our, we're on our way to the west uh, side of the country, so it's um, only the it's finest. a little different for me. Yeah. I'm not my usual F1 show comfort zone, you know. Yeah, well, here we go, and uh, and I'm in the basement today. So what are you going to do? And You're in the basement. I, the former Gee. the former F1 show studio, as it were. Um, <laughs> okay, so for, to to wrap up. Okay, it's been four weeks since the previous race. Um, what hasn't happened in Formula One, right? Okay, so we had Massa's injury, and if anyone somehow isn't keeping track of that, he's actually recoveringly, recovering amazingly well. Um, yes. He's he's been doing some some interviews and stuff now, and uh, you know doing you know doing a lot better. He's he's obviously not back to racing just yet, but um, it looks like he may actually get in the car um, for Brazil for his home race, which of course, if he can do that, he'd absolutely love to. Um, and so, who did Ferrari find to fill his seat? Well. That's another one of the who didn't they find, I suppose, in almost a sense. It was, it was a huge build-up to the fact that one Michael Schumacher might actually be taking over for Felipe Massa while he was away from the car, and the anticipation got big. And at first, uh, his manager, Willie Weber, said, no, no that's not going to happen. But then Michael Schumacher said, uh, no, it will happen. I'm going to do it. However, there were complications from a neck injury that he sustained in February in a motorcycle accident, which, uh, as we have now learned, proved to be uh, still bothering him enough to keep him out of the cockpit, which put one Luca Badur in the car. That's right. And uh, so there was all this, you know, this controversy over, well, okay, you, a, t- a team can't test with during the season, you know, an in-season testing ban. So... Ferrari did not uh, have the ability to put Michael Schumacher in an F60 car, so what they did was they borrowed from the uh, you know F1 Clienti division, which is you know Ferrari customer cars of, of vintage Formula One cars. Um, they got him the oldest car they legally could, which was a 2007 model. Um, but of course, those didn't have slick tires, so they put GP2 tires on the car and had Michael Schumacher go do a test to just kind of get his you know get his F1 drive back on for a minute, you know, because. Uh, as great as he was uh, when he was driving, um, and you know what his what his abilities are, he hasn't been in you know Formula One kind of shape and hasn't been in around these cars. Uh, you know, hasn't been in the cars. So they did this weird test. Uh, there was a, a big question to all the teams Ferrari put forth, uh, or actually I think some of the teams offered, saying, "Oh yeah, no, we'll we'll you know go around this band. This this band doesn't apply to you guys because you know it's Michael Schumacher and he's helping out for Felipe Massa who's injured. So this is totally different than you know getting rid of Sebastian Bourdais and having Jamie Alguasari. No, no, no. This is Michael Schumacher." So he can test during the se- during the uh, during the season, and McLaren right. came out and said, "No, that's fine. You know, we we you know be happy to offer you to do that." And 
Some of the teams were okay with it, um, but a couple of them were not, and uh, ended up, you know, they did not change the rules for him. Uh, so Schumacher was, you know, did not actually get back in the F60. Um, but as you mentioned, they used their, their test driver, Luca Bador, Italian driver, um, who's uh, been at Ferrari for like 15 years or something, um, and he's also not allowed to test in the car. But there are they are allowed to do promotional events with the newest car, uh, promotional and media days and things like that. So uh, they use the special Bridgestone um, promotional tire, which is a super super hard tire, um, so hard that it's not really useful. They can't get any any useful sort of tire numbers for for wear or anything. But it did allow Luca Badur to get in the car and sort of familiarize himself with the cockpit and the layout and so on. Um, and do some actual driving, uh, because it just so happened that Ferrari's website needed some new pictures uh, just right around the time that uh, Luca Badura was going to get in the car. So uh, that you got to love when something just comes together, you right? You know, it's, it's, just, it's just brilliant when things work out like that. So uh, I'm sure uh, they were just, just happy with their luck, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, so, and when we last left you, uh, Renault was banned from their home race in Spain. Uh, the whole team was told, hey, you know what, don't show up. Uh, you guys really screwed up by not putting the, not tightening down the wheel on Fernando Alonso's car, which ended up falling off. So you're not allowed to come and, uh, and race. Uh, you know, you're suspended for one race, um, which was a terrible move because, of course, you know, Alonso being Spanish and being, you know, the race in Spain and all that, I mean, it was just, and, and also no fault of his own, um, just a, a, you know, pretty sad situation. Uh, that was appealed last week uh, or earlier this week, and uh, and they won the appeal. They actually changed the the fine, or changed the penalty from being a suspension to being a fine. So they had to pay fifty thousand dollars or something, and uh, uh, you know they hopefully won't do it again. Um, I think we agreed that that was the whole thing was kind of weird from the go get because um, first of all, it's not like Renault had anything to gain from not tightening this this bolt. You know, not not getting the wheel on properly. Obviously, they lost a whole lot more. Uh, you know, more than the fine is going to hurt them. They lost by their car not finishing the race. Uh, and, you know, and it's, it's not like they made the decision where they're, oh, this car might leave the pits, but uh, you know what? We're not going to put that wheel on. We're just going to, we're just going to, f- you know, forget that this time. Um, so it was really kind of a, a you know, a stupid final penalty in the uh, beginning. But also, uh, to be fair, then, shouldn't you penalize Braun GP? Because there was a spring off of Rubens' car that actually, you know, ended up running into Felipe Massa, which is part of the reason everyone was so. Uh, oversensitive that weekend, so it's just you know it was a weird penalty to get to, to start, and they changed it to fifty thousand dollars, which thankfully doesn't affect you know Renault's ability to drive on the track uh, in the you know Alonso's home race, and uh, you know that's gone that's gone forward from there. Yeah, that that being said, I still think that the penalty for having a wheel come loose should be a harsh one because it is a serious in my mind it is a serious. Um, a grievance because of the potential damage it can cause to the drivers, the crew, and the fans, depending on when and how that tire lets go. So uh, I, I do think that they need to come up with some consistent way to say this is really, really bad and we really, really don't want this to happen. I don't think $50,000 is is the answer, but I don't think banning you know the, the team um, from the next race is necessarily the, the answer either. However... I can't think of one former driver that might not have minded if they were banned from the next race, and that is one uh, Nelson Piquet Jr. Exactly. The other Renault driver, he's got, he's been fired. He was let go, and uh, he kind of he kind of just uh, said, "Well, since it's happened, screw it." And he's gone off 
on uh, his uh, former boss and manager and, uh, you know, started calling him uh, Flavio Briatore the executioner. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a weird it's kind a bit of... much, but, it, but, you know. Yeah, a weird airing of dirty laundry on that uh, because... Uh, you know, obviously there's harsh words and, and different exchanges, and I, you know, I guess the way that he was handled in the team and how he was treated and what was promised and what wasn't promised was uh, apparently there was some, some, you know, miscommunications on that or whatever. But uh, at the end of the day, he was let go. But what I thought was interesting was uh, Alonzo's comments that um, it was basically mismanagement and some poor judgments and so on by Renault, but that Nelson Piquet, in Alonzo's eyes, has the talent to do well in Formula One. So... There are going to be several new teams starting next year, and PK has some driving talent, although you know not brilliant results. But I think with a little endorsement like that from Alonso, and um, you know possibly some money and so on coming from uh, you know his his past, uh, that may you know we may see him in the car next year. But he's certainly out at Renault, and you know I can't imagine we'll be wanting to work with Flavio Briatore anytime in the future. And yeah. he was replaced by Frenchman, well Swiss Frenchman uh, Romain Grosjean, uh, who's. You know, just kind of entirely too much hair. Yeah, he looks like, kind of like a lion um, when you see him. You know, actually with or without the helmet. I don't know how that works, but uh, yeah, he's more like more like a Disney drawing of a lion. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, I he uh, the thing about this, and this this gets in this no testing rule a bit, is that these guys get in the car and they're pretty much guaranteed to be in the back. I mean, Aimi Alvesuari still in the back, Luca's in the back, and. Uh, Grosjean's in the back because there's no testing of any kind. And, you know, like you say, other than a few pictures and promotional events and everything else, yeah. um, there's just, uh, there's no time to get any, you know, no way to get any good seat time in the car, which is partially what's baffled me so much about all these mid-season dropouts. You know, Bourdais being replaced and uh, uh, Piquet being replaced. You know, even if these Bourdais and Piquet aren't good drivers and don't deserve to be in the car, you're almost guaranteed to have better results with them in the car than with the new guys. Yeah. So it's been fascinating to me that they've uh, that we've seen this many mid-season changes considering the no-testing rule. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, it, it's pretty wild that, that at this race, partly because of Massa's injury and then, of course, Piquet being fired, that there were two brand-new drivers, uh, you know, the, the, there was... Uh, uh, you know, new to new to Formula. Well, I mean, okay, Luca Bador. Yeah, he's been driven. You know, right, and, he's been gone long enough. You can say new and get away. Yeah, with that. Um, I mean, you know, and and Romain Grosjean's uh, GP2 experience, or was it GP2 Asia? Was the series um, that uh, you know that's probably you know closer to a current Formula One car than you know ten years ago in Formula One car. So um, you know, there's that, and also of course Jaime Alguersari still in there from uh, you know who's only on his what third race now. So it's uh, you know. Quite a bit of new talent in the field there, and uh, certainly all the, uh, you know, or new or old, you know, in the case of uh, Luca Badur. Uh, some different talent in the field anyway, and, uh, you know, it could, could be interesting. And that's, you know, so... I so that, did we, that's... I guess, did we cover... No, I guess we haven't talked since uh, since our last podcast um, that BMW actually has officially pulled out of Formula One. Yeah. Um, they say they're, they're racing until the end of the year, and there's also some question about how they've gone about doing that in that um, they they did not originally sign on to the Concord Agreement for next year to say, yeah, we're, we could be a team for next year. So as it sits right now, the BMW Sauber team is not eligible to run next year if someone buys them. Um, so sort of Well, they had, they had an opportunity sometime between the last race and this one to 
get a guaranteed spot in there, and Peter Sauber worked real hard to try to reacquire the team and get the entry in for next year so that the place was set for them and that would help him help you know find another buyer and get back into the get back into the uh, sport next year as a private uh, private team again but BMW kind of screwed him on that they turned down Peter Sauber's offer and uh, now they do not have a guaranteed slot in the uh, season for next year but they do have the opportunity to become they still have an opportunity to be in F1 next year uh, but now there's just more red tape and more hurdles to jump through. Yeah, and it seems less and less likely as time goes on and as the season gets closer that they'll be able to find someone who can buy out the team and, and you know, switch everything over and, and start working great because, you know, they're still running the season um, as it goes on now. But, you know, with the politics of the way things have panned out here, it's uh, certainly a tricky one. So uh, that, interestingly, though, um, and, and I guess also the... Uh, the rumors are still going strong and have gotten even stronger about Alonso moving to Ferrari. So there's going to be this interesting trickle-down effect of, um, obviously, you know, who's going to go into the Renault? Um, where's Robert Kubica? Where's Nick Heidfeld going to go if they're not with BMW? There's going to be, there's, you know, a lot of these things that are, a lot of these drivers and, and which teams and who's going to be in the new teams. And, uh, you know, it's definitely going to be an interesting couple of weeks here as, as those things, and I guess even through the offseason until... Uh, so we start up uh, next year. Uh, just uh, so much to be figured out, um, and a lot of people moving around. That uh, it should be pretty wild. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, if you, if we could, I'd like to go back to this uh, Piquet thing for a moment. Yes. Um, we actually had a nice, interesting discussion on Facebook uh, about this. And uh, if you are at all interested, if you go to our Facebook page, um, which. Uh, which you can link to from our website or go to... Facebook.com slash F1 show. That's the one. And uh, and check it out. But uh, there is a little bit of uh, uh, an argument going on about whether K really does have the skills to be an F1 or not. And, uh, you know, Jim and I have been more or less um, on the side of that he just doesn't quite have it. He, you know, you know there's literally 20 and perhaps 26 spots in the entire world for these for these guys, and I think I can think of 26 people to fill the seats and not include Nelson's name. And uh, uh, But there is also, I think, a more likelihood that someone like Piquet would be able to get back into the sport, back into F1 next year, over someone like Bourdais, because I don't think Bourdais is any less of a driver, but I do think Piquet's probably got a little bit more value in his name. Mm-hmm. And he's also younger, and um, and I think bearing those two things in mind, I think he has a reasonable chance of getting back into the sport. Um, and uh, it, uh, Bourdais is also looking to get back into the sport, but I think his return is fairly unlikely. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and it's just sort of unfortunate because, as, as our listeners may know, we're fans of Bourdais having uh, done his U.S. racing career, but uh, you know yeah, that seems to have come to an end. Um, although... Um, you know, certainly as U.S. racing fans, uh, I've been really interested to see the news coming out about U.S. F1, uh, Peter Windsor and Ken Anderson's team. Um, they've apparently got their lead investor now is uh, Chad Hurley, um, whose main claim to fame was one of the founders of YouTube, uh, which yep. has obviously become a huge commercial success. And, you know, he sold that company for $1.65 billion to Google a couple of years ago. And um, 
we don't know uh, if the team will end up being, you know, if they'll end up some kind of title sponsorship, but it could be the YouTube F1 team or who knows. Um, but also, almost more interestingly for us, um, if that means that they can actually work out some way of, you know, broadcasting some stuff live, having some cool, you know, live in-car video on YouTube or whatever, because, well, uh, you guys in the UK and Australia and the rest of the world um, may have some great options for live in-car video and streaming this and that over the Internet. Um, we can get live timing here, but uh, we can't do BBC live coverage because we're, like, geo-blocked away from it, you know, being in the U.S. We don't, you know, pay to support the BBC, so we don't get to see their programming. And, uh, you know, there's not – a lot of the websites and stuff don't don't really work for the U.S. So um, having more access, especially over the Internet, as opposed to just the one outlet of Speed TV with its commercials and its limited, you know, coverage options and so on, um, I'm really looking forward to. So hopefully – that partnership will bear some fruit in the form of um, just more access to, you know, the F1 team and its preparations and the races themselves and some of the testing and so on. It, I just think that could be part of what it takes to get more of a foothold for F1 in the U.S. Um, because, the, you know, NASCAR series, for what they're worth, um, do a great job of engaging the fans. And, um, you know, there's all these different, you know, follow your driver as he does this and that. And there's promotional events all over the place. And they do a real good job of connecting with fans. And hopefully the uh, U.S. F1 can do that and, and, you know, really grow that way. Yeah, that would be fantastic for us. And uh, and I, I I would like to point out at this point how wrong I was uh, about that because I didn't think there was value in YouTube to promote uh, in F1 because they were so big anyway, and that just proved to be grossly naive and silly and, and also plain wrong. I, I was also wrong about Schumacher having interest to get back in the car, and uh, I was wrong about something else. I was wrong a lot. Well, I think we're oh, talking about BMW spending money oh, on Oh, yeah, it. and I was saying there's no way BMW would leave the sport. They're too committed. Yeah, so I was wrong about that too. So uh, for all your expert analysis, remember to go to F1 Show, uh, if you want to hear what may not happen. Right, but at least we have it when we're wrong, right? Yes, we do. Okay, so um, does that cover the uh, the old stuff? I mean, a lot happened, but uh, it was a I, long time. No, it doesn't even come close. Oh, but boy. I think we, we've, uh, we've, said, we've said what needs to be said. Alrighty, so qualifying. We'll practice in qualifying even for, uh, for the Grand Prix uh, this weekend. Um, I would say the thing that struck me the most was... Braun seemed to be back on the pace. Yeah, obviously McLaren made leaps and bounds from, uh, you know, just in the last race. Um, but, yeah, you know, there was some question, uh, some of, some of our, uh, our various fans on Twitter and whatnot were talking about, are you sure they didn't just switch the Braun and the McLaren cars and just repainted them? Because, you know, they're both Mercedes <laughs> powertrains, and all of a sudden Braun was down and McLaren was up, and it's, eh, you wonder. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, it's a very, very hot temperatures here at the circuit. Um, yeah, that's cute. You know, that, that helps them out. That helps out the Braun cars, seems to, anyway. Um, so those guys seem back. But you know what was, was sad? And we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, Toyota, I mean, Yarno truly started 18th. He was knocked out in Q1, um, just couldn't put a lap together. Um, the the first six guys out, we had uh, Fisichella in the Force India. And in the Force India had some, some upgrades on it. I mean, they were hoping for uh, some fairly decent results, but unfortunately couldn't make it out of Q1. Um, Kaz Nakajima in the Williams, uh, Yarno, as I mentioned, Jaime Alguasari in the uh, STR Ferrari, um, and uh, Old Man Luca in the uh, in the Ferrari, like two and a half seconds off uh, off the pace. I mean, off of Jaime Alguasari's pace. Like he may be okay. a brilliant test driver, but my goodness. Well, one, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. One and a half seconds, first of all. Okay. Second of all, 
I, this is a good opportunity. Let's give this guy a break. I've been reading a lot in different articles about how much he's been underperforming, how he's disappointing everybody, and all this kind of stuff. He hasn't been in a race in a decade. In a decade, in 10 years, he hasn't done any kind of racing at all. He's 38 years old. He hasn't been in the car much at all this season, other for the odds and end promotion. I mean, it's basically in January since he had like a proper test in the car. He um, he was he is he was coming out of the shadows of Michael Schumacher, arguably the greatest driver ever, coming back to the car. He was coming in a, a overshadowed like, oh, it's not going to be Schumacher; it's going to be me instead. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time to get up to speed. I mean, okay, I understand. The last time that Luca Badura had a race, uh, Jaime Alguersari was nine years old. Uh, that's that's a fact. But then I guess the question then goes to Ferrari of why this guy when they've got uh, you know some other talent available. They get Mark Genet, um who right. just came off a successful result in Le Mans and uh, you know is is Spanish even um, you know it could be uh, a good opportunity for him. So they were talking about you know whether this is some just kind of a thank you to Luca where you know obviously Ferrari is not going for a constructors championship if they don't score a lot of points from him this weekend which they don't um, then uh, it's you know. Not a big deal. So maybe this is kind of their way of saying, yeah, you've done a lot of service to us, and here, let's get you in a race to get you a little bit of glory and have people actually, you know, hear about you a little bit. Um, but, man, the performance was – I mean, they, they did a couple of, you know, these lap comparisons where you can see one guy's line versus another, and it's just – you know, even for a test driver, um, I just – you know, it just seems off the pace. I mean, I remember when Anthony Davidson was test driving for Honda and Alex Wirtz and, uh, you know, Pedro De La Rosa for McLaren, like uh, a couple of these guys, and, you know, they would set – really comparable laps when they could drive in Friday practice. And sometimes, a lot of times, the test drivers would be at the top of the, you know, top of the uh, times. Uh, sure, but I mean, but that's also when they were in the car all season. You know what I mean? I I, I know what you're saying. I feel like he deserves a race or two to get up to speed. Okay. I guess well, that's that's where I'm going. We'll give him that. But anyway, um, he qualified dead last and uh, was a second and a half off of uh, his nearest competitor. Um, so, that is what it is. Um, in Q2... We lost Nick Heidfeld in the BMW, Adrian Sutil, 12th spot for the Force India, which is not bad, um, Timo Glock in the other Toyota, so, you know, nowhere near the top 10, um, you know, this weekend, uh, Romain Grosjean in the Renault, so he made it into Q2 in his debut, first time in a Formula 1 car, so good for him, uh, and Sebastian Buemi. Yes, congratulations. Uh, yeah, and Buemi, who made it onto Q2 as well, so, uh, so good stuff there. Um, and you want to run down the uh, final quali? Uh, from the top or to the bottom? However you, however you like. Well, I think it was quite impressive, uh, that Lewis Hamilton took pole position, um, and, uh, he was followed by another, uh, none other than Heki Kovalainen. So McLaren Mercedes won two <coughs> in qualifying, which the most impressive part about that for me is just a few races ago, Mer- McLaren Mercedes was, they were the, uh, speed bumps. They, they were out in Q1. Yeah, there were times they couldn't get the car better than, you know. So the turnaround, 15. the turnaround of this car has been absolutely amazing. Yeah. And um, for them to have a one-two here, I thought was impressive. Now in third place was uh, the very um, determined Rubens Barrichello in the Braun car, and uh, his teammate Jensen Button, the championship leader going into the race, was fifth, and Vettel was able to sneak in between the two for fourth. Uh, the other Ferrari of Kimi Raikkonen was in sixth place. He was followed by Nico Rosberg in the Williams Toyota at seventh, and uh, Mr. Alonso 
uh, was in the eighth position, which is a, di- a bit disappointing after um, such an impressive Friday practice result. But um, as Formula One has become, it's been feverishly competitive in the front. I mean, the difference in lap times between uh, Hamilton to Alonso is seven tenths of a second, first to eighth. Yeah, it's only one full second for the top ten. I mean, it's extremely tight. Or even eighth to ninth. I mean, Mark Mark Webber in ninth um, was only what three thousandths of a second off of Fernando Alonso's time. So you know, everyone's probably get times like that where if you know, and that's thousandths of a second. You can't even imagine, you know, how how little of a change uh, in terms of your reaction time and getting on the throttle or any kind of little movement. Um, when you when you get down to the level of thousands, it's uh, it's really amazing. Oh yeah, if, if Lewis Hamilton was on his qualifying lap and sneezed, he would have been where Kubica is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite it's quite competitive, which is fantastic for us. Absolutely. But I guess if that is the qualifying, it is time for the race. After a month away from the sport and with plenty of ups and downs in between, Formula 1 is back in action for the European Grand Prix in Valencia, Spain. This is only the second year running a Grand Prix at this new track, which is deceptively fast and flowing, despite being a street circuit. The trademarks of Valencia Circuit are the harbor with all the high-dollar yachts right in view of the track, the bridge that takes the racing line right over our canal, and of course the temperatures as high as anywhere on the F1 calendar. After the forced summer break, all the teams are eager to get back at it and earn maximum points. Right from the start, Lewis and Heckey made the most of the Kerrs and super soft tires on their McLarens to retain their 1-2 starting positions. Hamilton pulled away and held around a 6-second lead over his teammate. Kovalainen, however, couldn't shake off the persistent Rubens Barrichello, whose Braun car was both, was both heavier with fuel and on the harder prime tire. Lower down in the field, there were a few minor crashes at the start, and while no one retired in the opening laps, Sebastian Buemi rear-ended Timo Glock's Toyota just hard enough to damage his front brake duct. This crash and the resulting pit stops meant neither driver had a fighting chance for solid finishes or points. Boemi later retired when his left front brake rudder exploded from the heat. Curiously, Timo Glock would later set the fastest lap of the race, only a suggestion of what could have been if only Toyota could get their qualifying act together. The crowd favorite Fernando Alonso completed his first racing laps in Valencia, besting last year's performance which saw him retire in lap one. His drive was fairly undramatic, but he had to constantly push to keep his position and fight in the extreme heat to keep everything under control. He would go on to finish sixth. Normally, 37-year-old Rubens Barrichello is the eldest driver in the field this season, but Ferrari dusted off their test driver Luca Badur to drive Massa's car. Badur has put more miles on recent F1 Ferraris than anyone, including Michael Schumacher, but he showed this weekend that testing is still a very different skill to racing. Badur's last race start was in a minority in 1999. He was off the pace all weekend, and calling his race lackluster is being generous. The Italian driver spun on lap one without damage, and continued on to poke around at or near last place. He would spin a few more times, give up a position in the pit exit, and earn a drive through penalty later in the race. Despite his very best efforts to finish last, he ended up 17th due to attrition. One of those that fell out of the race was Sebastian Vettel, who started fourth. He pitted from fifth for the first of a two-stopper, but suffered fuel rig problems, which meant he had to return to the pits after circulating the track once. The team was able to get their fueling rig sorted in that lap and filled up Vettel's car when he came back in. He rejoined in 15th spot, but a few laps later experienced his second engine failure of the weekend and retired on lap 25. 
Championship leader Jensen Button had a poor qualifying result and a poor start, which saw him stuck in the mid-pack for the whole race. Button finished 7th and collected 2 points, thankfully ahead of his nearest points rival Mark Webber. So whatever happened with the McLarens and Rubens up front... Rubens was able to put in a series of great laps once Kovalainen had pulled out of his way to refuel, so the Braun kept ahead of Heike's McLaren after his pit stop. For the middle stint, Barrichello stayed on the harder tires but kept pressure on Hamilton. All hell broke loose for McLaren when a miscue about whether or not he had enough fuel to continue meant Lewis's car was in the pits before the team was ready for him. This cost the team valuable seconds in the pits and made catching Rubens an impossibility. So through a brilliant drive and a touch of good luck, Rubens Barrichello wins the European Grand Prix. This is, his, this is his first victory in five years, and the first that he wasn't carried to by a prancing horse. Lewis Hamilton ended up second, and Kibi Räikkönen finished third, having passed fellow Finn Kovalainen in the second pit stop. Nico Rosberg beat the heat to finish fifth, followed by Alonso, Button, and oddly enough, Robert Kubica. Mark Webber was just outside of the points, and just behind him was Adrian Sutil in the improved Force India. Kaz Nakajima retired with a shredded tire, just four laps from the finish, leaving Williams with a mixed result for the day. So, Robin, man, our boy Rubens. Yeah, man, I have to say, you take that stigma of being the oldest driver off his uh, shoulders, and he just becomes a rocket ship. I know. Uh, he, I, I have not seen a drive in his long in a long time where I felt that the driver really earned it as much as Rubens did today. He worked so hard from Friday practice all the way through the weekend. It's his first win in five years. He was proving to uh, everyone, including myself personally, that he still has the speed, he still has the talent. And uh, I, I, I have to, I have to uh, tip my hat to the man. He did a fantastic th- job, drove very well, and, and earned a great win. Uh, ironically enough, and I have to say, um, the way this has been working out, Jensen Button has now had, in a relative sense, five bad races in a row. And yet, through the luck of everything and the way races have turned out, he's been able to hold on. Yeah, and the brilliant lead he had going into that. Well, yeah, but he's been able to hold on to his lead, his championship lead, very well. Uh, despite Button only finishing seventh again, uh, and, you know, being down in the points, he only lost a half a point of his championship lead uh, after the result of this race. So uh, great job for Rubens and lucky for Jensen. Yeah, so just to be clear, as far as, you know, McLaren's pit stop miscue, even if they had gotten Lewis Hamilton back out, you know, if they hadn't had that issue, um, with, they, they, you know, the McLaren came into the pits and they had they were still taking the blankets off the tires. It was really bad, I guess. Um, they had said, come in to pit this lap. Um, and then, and so Hamilton got in the pit lane. And they said, no, wait, no, no, go next lap. We can go one more lap. You know, they're trying to figure out what the fuel filter, fuel, fuel uh, you know, usage and all that, figure out whether they could, uh, you know, continue on um but lewis was already in the pit lane when they finally said no no no, don't come in this lap um and i don't know you know quite what uh, what happened from there but you know the car showed up at the pit stop and they were still scrambling to get ready for him so that was just a disaster for a team that's normally right on top of their game with that kind of thing um, yeah and i have to say i don't think that would have happened had ron dennis been at the helm yeah uh but uh it, be that as it may they did seem to recover reasonably well and Lewis was uh an absolute gentleman about it and he was mature in the car and out right and uh made made the most of that mistake I think but they really couldn't afford it and it it cost the win for sure well I'm not sure I'm not sure that it did I mean I think I think Rubens with his pace and uh, and everything um still could have had it and actually uh uh you know Martin Whitmarsh was was saying that you know it wasn't just that you know that the 
Rubens definitely in the brown car definitely had the pace and they were doing a great race. So I, I wouldn't yeah, say. Let me, let me let me sorry to interrupt, but let me rephrase. They lost the chance to win is what yes, I meant to yes. say. This this is what um, had they gotten everything perfect, they had the chance, and then this this kind of wrote them off. There, yeah. So I mean, it, this was uh, I guess it was actually Rubens kind of doing a classic Schumacher in that. When it was needed, when he you know started a little bit heavier, but still had a good qualifying result, and he was quite a bit heavier than the McLarens too. I mean, he had uh, I think what five or six laps uh, to uh, you know really just get some time down. But you know, just kind of keeping right up behind Heikki Kovalainen, and Kovalainen doing his thing. I, I don't know if that was just his pace, um, which was you know like I say a couple seconds behind um, Hamilton, or if he was actually you know slowing up just enough that uh, to you know keep Barrichello away from Hamilton. But uh, you know, Hecky did a fine job in second place to uh, to hold him off a little bit. And uh, but yeah, as soon as the McLaren was out of his way, Rubens just took off and just did a series of just brilliant laps. He never really put a foot wrong the whole weekend or the whole race anyway. And uh, you know, did a great job. So uh, I, I think you know Rubens really earned it. And uh, he's he is just over the moon. Um, he is he said, oh, he wants this moment to last forever. Uh, it's been yeah. so, you know it's been so long coming. He's you know it's just. Uh, it, it was like a first win for him, it seems. And uh, the other thing I found fascinating is he did this uh, primarily using the don't don't mind the train. Uh, primarily using the prime tire. Yes. Um, he he only used the option tire, I believe, on his last stint, and uh, it was a little bit hard. I was actually at a I was actually at a Formula One bar today, which was a very cool experience uh, in Chicago called the Players. Um, but. I digress. Uh, Rubens uh, Rubens did uh, did all that on the prime tire with more fuel in the car, and it was very much yeah, it was a, a, a strategy result as well as just a pure speed result. It, it was quite impressive. Yeah, they got the balance right of qualifying position because this is a hard track to overtake on. And aside from the very beginning of the race, um, I, I may have missed something, but I don't think there were any actual on-track passes. I think everything else came down to pit strategy and, and uh, you know, and just putting in fast laps when you need to, and then uh, as the pit stops shuffle around, getting in front of people. That's pretty much how all the passes were made today. So, um, yeah, I think which, there were, which I is mean, what screwed up Button, Jensen's race. Yeah, yeah, but definitely made a couple of attempts um, to uh, to pass, but I don't think any of them were successful. Right. So I think with Rubens, they got just the right balance of fuel load in the car to have a good first stint um, and, of course, still qualify reasonably high, and they, they really just called that right. And, uh, and they, Braun admitted after, uh, you know, after the race that it was really sort of a strategic deal with a uh, strategic problem with Jensen that um, they miscalculated how much fuel they should put in for qualifying and, you know, to start the race on and where he could get in the results. And, and you know, I don't know what's going on with, this, with Jensen's starts, but... Um, I think he lost what three places or something right straight away, and they were just so hard to get back that uh, it was really just a disaster for him. So, um, you know, he got what two, well, yeah. two points out of the deal, um, you know, with a couple of lucky breaks and so on. But um, man, it's just you know pretty different fortunes there. Jensen did qualify right in front of Raikkonen, which is of course uh, another Kurz-powered car. So that was a little bit of an inevitability. And Nico Rosberg has just been quite good. And he was in seventh, and then Alonso is always good. So uh, I think, in some ways, you could kind of see it coming. Uh, Jensen being shuffled down to sixth place, but yeah, uh, ending up behind Mark Webber in the uh, in the beginning of the race was uh, very unfortunate for him indeed. So I think that he needs to. 
stay extremely focused if he wants to get back on form and win a couple more races and keep this championship for him. So uh, now I want to talk a little bit about uh, Hamilton. Uh, it, he said that his car, if you take away the Kurs, is still behind the pace of the bronze. Yes. Which may have been true at this race, but I don't know if that's true altogether. And uh, he has come alive so quickly, it, it, he just continues to impress um, because he's he's one of those guys he gets the most out of the car. When it was a junk car, he was still finding ways to get some results in places and pockets where Kovalainen was just down in the dirt. And now that it's a good car, he's instantly back on top. He gets a second-place finish today. He comes off a win from uh, Hungary. I mean, it's just crazy impressive. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Correct. I, I so was, anyway. I, no, I was reading the Twitter feed. Sorry. No, that's quite right. And in the meantime, I, you know, Kovalainen, he definitely improved his qualifying position. Uh, and uh, to it, it sounded like he had a chance to actually take the pole, but then he made a mistake at the end. I didn't watch qualifying. I just read about it afterwards. Yeah, qualifying and, was interesting uh, because the McLarens definitely timed it well um, and that Lewis could get out. It was, you know, the last guy across the line. He actually had another lap he could have done. Um, and didn't take it. He, he once he had the lap uh, in the books. You know, once he had his fast lap in the books, he, he peeled off and went into the pits. Um, so it was um, it was a little bit weird because it wasn't quite the rundown to the very end like we've seen. Um, really. And and I guess I'm not. I I wasn't following it quite closely enough to tell you exactly why it worked out that way. But uh, once the laps were in, it wasn't long after the checkers were out that, we, that all the laps were in the books and everyone said, okay, this is it. And part of um, so part of it was when Hamilton. Um, or I guess when the team, looking at all the lap times and everything, worked out that Hamilton was safe on pole, um, they pulled him in. That got him that one extra lap's worth of fuel um, starting the race that, uh, you know, certainly helped him stay ahead. Um, but, you know, like I said, it, it would it would have been interesting if he hadn't had that pit stop issue to see a, a sort of a shootout at the end between him and Rubens. And uh, it's kind of hard to say how that would have gone. It could have been some interesting racing. Um, sure, I, I think sure. Rubens really probably had it uh, this weekend overall. But, uh Certainly, a really strong performance from the McLaren guys. And yeah, uh, but see, that's just it. the thing with Kovalainen is he always seems to fade during the race. Yeah, and it wasn't too bad. I mean, he ended up finishing. I think it was fourth. Yeah, just behind yeah, Raikkonen. Fourth place. So I mean, not bad, but he still seemed to be. Uh, he still seems to fade off, and uh, I, I don't know why that is. Yeah, and it, it's it's got to be frustrating for the McLaren team. To have uh, one guy who's so aggressive and always pushing, to have another guy that's really on the passive side. Yeah, and it's—I mean—it's interesting because, especially after qualifying and the you know, open stages of the race, um, we were talking about it, and just sort of um, after the news lately, where McLaren has come out and said, "Okay, yes, we we like Kovalainen a lot, but he definitely has to step up his game to stay with the team. Um, they're going to look at all the options for drivers that are available and make the best choice, and all these other kind of you know friendly statements, but." Um, I really felt like, okay, this Kovalainen is doing well. I mean, he only lost one spot to Kimi Raikkonen. I, I guess I give the guy a little bit more credit. Um, and, it, yeah, it's a hard circuit to pass on, so you know maybe that, that helped him and that he was an unpassable roadblock. But his lap times were, were consistent. He didn't really make any mistakes. And, yeah, I mean, Raikkonen was able to get faster with uh, pit strategy and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, th- I thought he did a solid job. So um, I guess if I were McLaren and looking at, uh, you know, the way things worked out, I'd be pretty pleased with, uh, you know, fourth spot from, from Kovalainen and, 
you know, he he played a pretty good support role. Um, he certainly, I, I don't think, has what it takes to be a uh, leading driver, though. And, um, you know, certainly that's why they've got Hamilton, and, uh, and he did well for him today, too. Sure, sure. So how do you feel about, uh, kind of going down the order here, uh, Raikkonen's performance in the Ferrari? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say because Valencia, as you said, and it's absolutely true, is a very difficult place to pass. At the same time, I still don't feel like Raikkonen's heart really is in it. I mean, there's more and more talk about Alonso coming to Ferrari for uh, next year and, uh, you know, Raikkonen taking a very keen interest in rally. Yeah. Uh, I almost wonder if he's just kind of coasting at home. Yeah, there's talk about, you know, him going to some like a Fiat rally entry, which is, of course, the parent company for Ferrari and all that. And and now they've of course the Ferrari have scheduled their end of the year party to be in Valencia, you know, in Spain, not in Italy or you know anywhere else. So it's there's certainly a lot of things pointing that way. Um, we try not to look too much into the rumors because it doesn't matter until it's actually happened or it doesn't happen. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's hard. We didn't actually we didn't see much of Kimi today in the race. There's a lot of drivers we didn't see much of. Uh, you know, Mark Webber and some of these guys because um, you know I guess. The race was interesting strategically. It was interesting in the way a game of chess could be interesting. Uh, but on-track action was, um, I guess, for, except for a few spins from Luca Badur and one from uh, Romain Grosjean, that uh, other than that, it was... Well, an exploding... Uh, the exploding brake rotor. The rotor from that, Buemi was that, pretty stupid. That wasn't bad. And then, I guess, the, the one tire shredding. But, I mean, you know, I guess for a wheel-to-wheel actual, you know, competitive action yeah. was, was slow. So, yeah, I guess it's a bit hard for me to judge... Uh, you know, Kimi's performance, but I guess just his attitude and, you know, even ending up on third spot of the podium, um, he's, you know, as unenthusiastic as ever, but that's his personality. So it's hard to say, but it, it certainly seems like he may have sort of had the fun he wanted to have in F1 and uh, maybe looking to other options. And, um, you know, that's, I guess, I guess I'm kind of okay with that. I was a pretty big Kimi fan, especially back when he was at, uh, at McLaren and everything. Um, but I guess if his heart's not in it, it's hard for my heart to be in it for him. So, um, I'm not. I'm. I'm just losing some of my own interest in uh, in what he's doing. Uh, but he's still competitive, uh, but maybe not terribly, you know, interesting or exciting. It's not quite like having one of these new guys come in and either do well or do terribly. It's, uh, you know, just he's meh. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, um, on the opposite end of meh, I think is uh, Nico Rosberg. He's continuing to bring in one solid drive after another. I mean, he's been fourth place, fourth place. He was fifth place before that. Now he's fifth place again here. He's now fifth in the championship. Um, he has collected every single one of Williams' Toyota team points for the year. Uh, he's doing very, very well, and he's been consistent and strong. He's been good on the racetrack. He's been good, and he's getting better at setting up the car. I, I, I think I think Nico really, truly deserves a top ride, and uh, he's just been darn darn consistent i have no doubt that if he were in a mclaren or even in a braun he'd also be winning races yeah and there's certainly talk of him uh potentially moving to mclaren um or i mean who knows what i guess once this whole uh you know sort of follow-through comes on with with uh, uh you know alonzo to ferrari or, or whatever um there's a lot of talk about a lot of different things but yeah having him in one of the one of the more competitive cars um would be great, but who who's to know? I mean, what a competitive car is because as we've just seen with the ups and downs of Braun, with McLaren obviously just coming back out of nowhere, with you know the resurgence of Renault like late last year, it's I mean as a driver I guess if you get different offers and all that it's so hard to know 
what's going to be a competitive car, how quickly things can change. Um, and and you know same there with, with like with the BMW guys. If you're in a dri- you know drive is backed by one of the you know major automakers and uh, you know has a whole bunch of money and all that, but they they can still just pull out and say, oh, sorry, it's not worth it, and your you know your drive is done at the end of the year unless you find another one. Right. So it's I guess as a driver it would be very hard to uh, to know what is the best opportunity, um, you know. And I guess I wouldn't uh, wouldn't bet on a Toyota drive I guess at this point based on what. Uh, some of what the you know Toyota guys have been talking about, and actually, Jarno truly has said he will be parting company with uh, Toyota. It's not really clear if he's being pushed out or he wants his own way out. But uh, either way, that's uh, you know that that partnership is ending. So yeah, there could be a couple different places. I mean, who knows if if Nico if, if a Toyota and would end up being good or if that would be you know a d- poor drive. Who knows? It's it's so hard to say, I guess. But yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah I mean, certainly a good drive from him this weekend. Uh, he was particularly. Uh, you know, saying it was really, really hot, so it kind of took the fun out of it. You know, the track temperature was 120 degrees uh, Fahrenheit and, uh, you know, just really, really hot conditions, so it's a little harder to enjoy yourself. But, uh, you know, had a good had a good run and, you know, like you say, finished fifth and uh, got some good points. Yeah, I think I, I think so. And, uh, I, you know, I still think despite all the uh, competition, which is fantastic, I, I think if you talk to pretty much every driver on the grid, if they if they could race for any team, I think pretty much all of them would either say McLaren or Ferrari. I still think there are some kind of powerhouses in the um, in the uh, in the sport, and you know those those two names are the ones I think. Um, uh, as far as Toyota is concerned, I think one thing that's interesting about Toyota is you know they stuck with it for quite a long time now. I think truly uh, overall has done well for the team and uh, truly deserves a lot of the credit for the, some of the successes that Toyota's had. But if you contrast Toyota's performance and how long they've been in the sport versus BMW's and how long they've stayed in the sport, I can't help but I want to say BMW, they look like quitters to me. But uh, um, I just wanted to throw that out there. It is, I, I, you know, it's interesting with Truly because he has these, like, moments of brilliance in the car, even, you know, even today. And the car seemed to be doing really well. In fact, Timo Glock had the fastest lap of the race. Um, uh, yet they finished 13th and 14th. Yeah. And they can't seem to put any kind of results together. They were quicker early in the season. It looked like they might even be able to sneak up to the top and maybe even win a race. And now they're now they're mid-pack at best again. It's just kind of they don't seem to be able to develop the car for whatever reason. Or it seems like even though the car may have the pace, if they don't get high up enough in qualifying, then, you know, this time Timo was involved in that accident early on, which, which you know, he had to do an early pit stop and just, you know, lost through any any chance of a good result there. But, um, and, you know, and then Yarno just kind of stuck in traffic. Um, once you're mid-pack, especially uh, here at Valencia, you're just stuck there. And they, you know, they know this is the problem. I mean, all the interviews with the Toyota crew and these guys say, yeah, we need to work on our qualifying form. But, I don't know what it is that the other teams get that Toyota doesn't, but clearly there's something because that team is, you know, their car is capable. I mean, if obviously if, if you know, Glock can put together fastest lap, there's no question that the raw pace is there, that, you know, the power is is good and the aerodynamics are reasonable and, you know, everything is, is, is working okay and the driver's not bad. But, you know, if you can't start well and then you end up having a, you know, a bad race and you're just kind of claw back from that, it's just, you know, such an uphill battle. Yeah, one one other guy I want to mention before we move on, unless you got something more to talk about, Jim, is uh, Adrian Sutil. He uh, ended up finishing tenth in the Force India Mercedes, and he was strong in qualifying. He was twelfth uh, in qualifying, 
and uh, he looked to be pretty quick in Friday practice as well. Uh, and he's he's making uh, he's making some results out of that Force India car. I mean, certainly Force India has gone leaps and bounds um, in performance from its uh, Jordan days, but it is still, by comparison, you know, uh, a low budget private team it doesn't have the same resources as um, the big teams, and it's you know it's still you know having to make up ground. And I think Adrian Sutil, after I think this is his third year with uh, with that car, I think hopefully for him he's going to be able to move up into a into a stronger team as well. Uh, he he seems to be becoming a very solid mature driver, and he's got to make the leap soon, or he's going to get stuck. Yeah, and Mercedes actually, um, is, especially you know with McLaren, um, want to have a German driver in the car. Um, you know, just for especially for the German Grand Prix and and how great it is to sort of celebrate. Uh, you know, for them, so that's why they're, they're I think interested in Nico Rosberg as as one option. But I think Adrian Sutil should be on their radar as well uh, because I agree. I think he's getting um, you know possibly better than what that car deserves. And uh, if he could get into one of the better teams, or if you know Force India can keep developing their car, and, and you know when he can help continue to help develop that car um, to make that car a contender, then I think that'd be great because, I mean, we're certainly seeing a shift away from the manufacturers uh, or the, the car makers as uh, constructors uh, in Formula One. I mean, with all the new teams coming on, none, none of them are major automakers uh, or not, you know, are back that way. And um, with, you know, with BMW out, with Toyota kind of on the edge, you know, maybe they'd be able to sell their team to, uh, to some privateer entry. You know, we're getting back to... Um, you know the the cars that are just named after the guy that runs the team, and uh, and a lot of the you know just sort of the smaller outfits and so on, um, which I guess and it could end up being kind of a de facto two tier series, and that there's kind of the, the manufacturer backed and the constructors, but um, I don't know who would have the advantage though, because I, you know looking at the uh, the success of the Braun car, I mean being a perfect example, bought out from a manufacturer from Honda, um, and uh, and I guess. You know, maybe it'll just be Ferrari will kind of be the only, you know, major make uh, as, a, as a car maker in Formula 1. Um, and I guess I don't know what my point was there, but uh, it seems to be changing away from that for next year. And it, and it should be interesting to see if, uh, you know, if some of these other teams are a little more flexible with who they, you know, who they hire and, and, you know, get some, take better advantage of the existing drivers and also bring some new drivers in. Yeah, and I think also, uh, I, I hope this year has taught uh, Formula 1 that, Perhaps you have very limited and controlled testing, but I think uh, maybe there should be some in-season testing all the same. Um, you know, developments with the car, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I, certainly this season has proved to be as exciting as ever, uh, which is great for us, and I, I certainly appreciate that. But I think I think just for the value of the sport and the consistency, maybe you do allow – some controlled in-season testing, maybe similar to what IndyCar does, and, uh, and uh, you know, find a compromise there. Well, thinking about the testing, too, um, and this is something that uh, our, our speed commentators brought up during Friday practice, uh, was to partly to make that commercially viable, because right now a lot of the testing will be at, uh, you know, you know some of these tracks that you know they go to they'll go to Bahrain you know later in the season like nowhere near the Bahrain Grand Prix but they'll send all the transporters and all the vehicles and all the stuff down there and fly a whole bunch of people out there 
just to do a couple days of testing. And if it rains or, or if there's a dust storm or whatever, sometimes all that money is wasted. And especially with the, the, the way you know economics are right now, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, and so that's really one of those things where the teams with all the money can do that, and the teams with lower money, you just just there's no way. Um, so why not make testing like Thursday at the racetrack? You know, it's an extra day, but you have all your equipment there. You have all your guys there. You have all the trucks and all the tools and the spares and everything. And you just get the whole day to go out on track and try different things and play with setups and do these things. You know, it costs so much less than a whole separate trip. It wouldn't be all the scheduling. It wouldn't be all the extended travel for these guys. Um, yeah. They don't have to do a whole other strike and setup. But also, why not sell tickets to that? You know, there's certainly people that would want to go and, and just see, you know, see the oddball stuff happening, see the test drivers doing their thing, and see see them trying different wing configurations, or you know, with or without curves, or I don't know what, you know. But um, or even better, why don't you not sell tickets? Why don't you just let people in and then use it as a promotional thing and try to get make money a little bit indirectly. Uh, with some advertisings, maybe try to do some little bit more creative marketing. Yeah, sell cheap tickets Just open or whatever. It up, yeah. Open it up to the fans and, and uh, try to get some people there to really enjoy themselves and have it have that be a day that's kind of opens up F1 a little bit and gives fans a little bit closer view of things because uh, that's, I think, one thing Formula One desperately needs to uh, look at the American model for. I mean, if you look at um, NASCAR and IndyCar to some extent, I mean, your ability to get closer to the cars and to the people and, and to the exposure is, is, is fantastic compared to kind of lockdown that F1 can uh, be. So I think I think there's definitely some lessons to be learned there, and a testing Thursday would be an excellent uh, venue to kind of provide some of that. Yeah, and it may, maybe not all the races, maybe only you know five of them out of the year or every other or something like that. But you know, sure. I just I just feel like that would be you know unless way unless Michael Schumacher. And then you. In which case, he can test at all the tracks every weekend if he yeah, wants. Exactly. I mean, yeah, right. He's, he's Schumacher. Twice. Uh, right. And there, and also, I mean, you mentioned Michael Schumacher. You know, there's also, uh, and I don't know how much of this is talk, just talk, but uh, you know, of Ferrari wants to run three cars next year so that they can have Michael Schumacher in one of them, and of course that was before uh, his you know injury ruled him out. I think for his return. So I don't know if they figure he'll be back up to speed. Uh, for you know, for next year, and actually still want to do that. Um, that may have just been some offhanded comment because, as far as I can tell, all the rules are pretty well set as far as uh, constructors and entries and so on. So unless they right. did a, a whole like Red Bull STR kind of weird third-party arrangement, um, I can't see that happening. But um, I mean, I'm really looking forward to the prospect of having you know 24, 26 cars on the grid. I've I've never seen a race you know beyond 22 drivers, and I just think that'll be great. You know, for uh, just who knows what will happen, you know, there'll be just more cars out in qualifying and uh, more just, you know, more cars. I don't know. It just it should be cool. And, no, uh, I agree uh, with you. But that being said, it, it, at the rate things are going with BMW, if BMW can't find a way to keep – if Sauber can't find a way to keep his cars on track for 2010, if Toyota ends up pulling out, um, it might not be more than 22. Yeah. So I mean we have to we have to keep that open and see what happens there. Um, Although I feel more hopeful with Toyota because they are signed on for next year that even if Toyota management pulls out, um, they may be able to broker some kind of deal like Honda. They seem like they're more open to that, and you are at least you know maybe a little bit a little better planning ahead on that. Yeah, um, yeah, to yeah. be able to work out some deal to sell that and you know you know have some team racing even if it's not Toyota, but based on all the uh, all the technology and stuff that uh, the Toyota has. Yeah, sure, sure. All By right, so, the way, can yeah. I just mention real quick because I don't think cover this. We talked about how Schumacher wanted to test 
and most of the team said that'd be okay, but then Williams and Red Bull said no. Can I just say real quick that I completely agree with Williams and Red Bull on that? Why should Schumacher get an extra test and when no one else, you know, I mean, it didn't make any sense, and I think what Williams said uh, was, was perfectly poignant. He said, if we had one of our main drivers be injured, we would, without hesitation, happily put in one of our test drivers. Yeah. So the fact that you guys are trying to make a special case, put Schumacher back in the car, that's all lovely and wonderful, but that doesn't mean that you guys get some special compensation as a result. Sorry. Yeah. And also on that note, I should mention that um, Badur is confirmed. I mean, obviously he drove in uh, Valencia today, and uh, th- I saw a statement, um, just one of these articles I was reading after the race, that uh, they say you know he will be in the car next weekend, which, you know, it's there are two races only a week apart. You know, it seems natural to keep at least the same guy in there. Yeah, but there is a, certainly a chance um, Schumacher could come back uh, for Monza because it's Italy. You know, it's Monza. It's just with with all the history and everything that goes on there, um, and and it could be a really big deal for Ferrari and for ticket sales and just you know promotion in general. Um, that's uh, you know that still may be in the cards. I mean, we still might see Michael Schumacher race here in in, in 2009, and uh, that which I I guess I'm of mixed minds. I mean, it's I. Um, we talked about this a little bit on the last show, and there's certainly, uh, you know, some people out there in the media and so on that are just, you know, anti-Michael Schumacher and, and what a dastardly driver, you know, he, he's not, you know, not sporting, he'll just do anything he can to get ahead and whatever, but then there's certain people that love him for those exact same reasons uh, right. and, and others, so um, I guess... I think it'd be interesting if only to sort of see, um, you know, like with a, with a lot of athletes. Oh, if only we could see, you know, what would uh, what would Fangio be doing in today's equipment, you know, or what would what would these different guys or, um, you know, we take it to different sports and you know what would it be like if if this guy were to play against that guy, and uh, so it could be interesting in that way. But it just seems like such a, you know, it's a promotional exercise. It's so much more about it's not about the racing so much as it is about the image and about you know I guess just selling tickets and those kind of things, uh, which are important, but that's not why I, you know, watch the racing, or that's not quite what gets me uh, excited about it. Right. No, I agree with that entirely. And uh, if he gets in the car, great. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And I don't know. I think the sport will be fine either way. It was definitely cool, the idea of him getting in the car. But, um, you know, definitely going back to what you said earlier, the idea of having three Ferraris just for the sake of him being in the car, it's like, yeah, come on. Yeah, and also I guess I, I the timing of that um, worked out actually quite well I think because it took everyone's attention away from um, you know there was obviously you know Felipe Massa's injury which um, you know it's 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 always a bit negative of course when there's somebody you know you know when you hear about Formula One in the context of someone being injured someone being hurt but uh, but also all of this back and forth with you know all the FOTA and the threats to leave and the new agreements and then the you know well we, you know you guys aren't involved in the championship or you are but you can only spectate or you know there's all this sort of political nonsense I guess we could call it for lack of a better term and uh, at least the whole you know is Schumacher going to be in the car and that whole uh, you know drama unfolded it took people's attention away and sort of at least I think um, you know if only give people memories of happier, simpler times in F1 with Michael Schumacher, um, you know, it, it took the uh, t- took the public's eyes off of uh, the negative stuff for a little while. So in that way, it worked yeah, out it well. Was, it was definitely nice to be able to talk about racing for a yeah. little while. Yeah, I, I think that was uh, that was certainly a uh, welcome relief from just called the Eccleston Mosley show <laughs> and just the ridiculousness that it was. I mean, it was like it's like listening to. Uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh or something is just so ridiculous. So anyway, um, 
Uh, I think that is it for the race, which I believe means it's time for listener feedback. I believe so. Alrighty, feedback. And uh, we've got plenty of it, as always. Um, Actually, I wanted to mention, um, as far as getting in touch with us, um, we've talked about our Facebook page, which is now facebook.com slash f1show. We've talked about our Twitter feed. We are at the f1show on Twitter. Um, But I've put all that stuff together, and there's actually now an interact page right on our site. So if you just go to f1show.com slash interact, that can be feedback, that can be questions, comments, suggestions, whatever you like. Um, You can get in touch with us a variety of ways. You can leave comments. Take all the credit for that, Jim. I, said, I, I believe I was there. I said we put it together. Did I say I? You said I. Oh there's man, no I there, there's no I in F1 show. There's there's a one in there. It looks like an I, but it's there, not. It's a one. Yeah, it's just a, it's a numeral. So yes, we put that together. Um, and uh, so there's you can you can email us. You can leave comments on the page. But uh, we're trying to um, just give you guys some more features and stuff to use on our website. So uh, just if you haven't been there in a while, go to f1show.com. And uh, you can you can see various options and, and what we're doing online. Um, read about us. We've posted some new stuff on there a little bit. So uh, so that's cool. And uh, yeah, and there's also there's about a page and a half worth of about the host. If you were just dying to know the history of Jim Lau and Robin Warner, you now have an opportunity to uh, get a glimpse behind the scenes of what it is to be us. Since it's truly it's an epic, amazing story. It really is pretty something special. Something pretty special. Quite. All, all of those things. It's so, many of those things and more. That's right. Um, so I, I guess, you know, a big thanks to all, all the Twitter peeps. I mean, we've got uh, a couple of these guys with, uh, you know, uh, Jordan Brown on Twitter, uh, Brownie1871, Malloy Bishop, uh, you know, Smakaka underscore, I don't know quite. Some these people have some weird names, okay? But uh, I'm so, telling so, you, it's it's Twitter. It doesn't make any sense in any way, shape, or form. Right, uh, but uh, it's it's a lo- we're having a lot of fun over there with uh, the Twitter stream. You know, people coming back and forth, and uh, you know, I try to post on there pretty regularly. And uh, yeah, it's it's good for the kids. It's it's great. You know, these kids with their mobile phones and everything, they just they get into it. And uh, I know it's not really your deal, Robin, but uh, you know, it's you're, you're an old person though, so you can, you're allowed to be on Facebook now. So at least that's the good news. But, yeah, I, I'm actually I'm actually getting getting my brain around Facebook reasonably well, just in enough time for it to fade away off into history, and then I'll have to learn Twitter. But in the meantime, Twitter is still weird, and yes. young people with their skateboard going too fast on the sidewalks and they're twittering. I don't like it. I know, and then, and then they get on your lawn, and then you got to deal with that. But I know. Uh, well, they don't they understand it. It messes with the grass. It's it's terrible. So what's going on on the Facebook page, though? I haven't actually been there in a while. Well, we've had tons of great activity on the Facebook page, as usual. Um, uh, I think a big shout-out to um, uh, Gabriel Rossencotter. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly or not. They're actually in the States doing the rental car rally, and uh, uh, they're it's a overnight trip from New York City to Detroit. Sounds like a lot of fun. They commented about that on the page. Um, definitely looks like something cool. In fact, um, uh, Jim and I and uh, maybe some other folks may actually participate in that thing next year. It is quite interesting. I also want to say thank you to well, – I mean, there's so many people to thank. So, uh, James Payne has always been in there. Um, some more recent uh, Will Carver, uh, Bay Phillips, Ben Stirl, all these guys to keeping the page active and uh, – Having some good insightful comments. Thank you to all um, all those guys. Absolutely. Um, 
And, and of course, we get uh, emails to feedback at F1show.com. Even in spite of all the high-tech, uh, super amazing ways you can get in touch with us, there's still email, simple and old school as it is. Uh, but even older school and lower tech, but cooler than that, we got some of the best feedback uh, we can get. And that we actually got some <laughs> stuff. Stuff. In the mail, in, in the post, uh, physical goods. Uh, and we can't thank you guys enough. Yeah, that was uh, from Brendan James Crunk, and who uh, works. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to screw up what he does, but he's connected to Golf Air, I believe, and uh, actually hooked us up with some really cool stuff from the Bahrain GP, which uh, we just sincerely and deeply appreciate. It was really wonderful to, to receive, and uh, can't thank him enough. Yes. So if you, um, you know, as our as our trusted and loyal listeners um, ever come across uh, any kind of just F1 paraphernalia of any kind that... Uh, Give it to us! Yeah, just send us stuff. Uh, we really appreciate getting that. And so we've got some, I've got like some stickers we're going to put up in the uh, in the Super Sweet F1 Show studio here and, uh, you know, it's just uh, some some little flyers and stuff. So it's uh, very cool and we definitely appreciate uh, we definitely appreciate getting people's thoughts and comments and feedback. Um, we also really dig getting stuff. Yeah, stuff cool. Yes. Um... And uh, also uh, Massimo Tatone from I'm not I think Canada um, uh, sent us a, a note on as far as talking about uh, Schumacher and so on. Uh, he finds he said he found it intriguing and disturbing that Williams and STR are blocking Ferrari's request for Schumacher to test the F60. He understands that all teams are required to give consent in these situations. Um, should not FIA and FOTA consider the potential safety risk not of Shuey bumping off not 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 of Shuey bumping someone off on purpose, but of a driver jumping back into or into F1 based solely on testing a three-year-old car, which I thought was an interesting point. You know about it's all this concern over safety, and what about you know if if the driver is really unfamiliar with the car, isn't that a pretty serious safety risk? Yeah, but if that is a certain safety risk, then it's the FIA's responsibility to say no. Schumacher's not allowed to replace Massa. Not to say Schumacher should be allowed a bunch of special testing. I mean, if that's if to call and use your regular testers because they have two testers just like any other team. And uh, you know, it, if if you go that route, it's he's not allowed in the car. Not let him sp- do special tests. Yeah, and he goes on to say if uh, if JA Alwarshwari. Uh, the new guy was able to uh, to do so in Hungary. Why not Shuey? Uh, he may be reaching here, but he thinks Williams is running scared that Shuey will place top eight and will do anything to torpedo his return. So as it turns out, we don't quite have any way of knowing how well Schumacher would have done. Uh, I would say top eight is pretty reasonable, though. Uh, and uh, you know whether that was a calculated thing on Williams' part uh, or what, it's you know as far as but, uh, Schumacher. And we, I, I want to make sure it's certain clear. It was not just Williams; it was also Red Bull. Right. So. I mean, so we don't put all the heat on Williams here. Fair enough. So uh, anyway, thanks for the uh, for the note on that and uh, and the insightful feedback. And uh, let's do some trivia. 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 <laughs> Alrighty. So what do we got for trivia? Well, uh, last last we talked about um, Fernando Alonso and his his brother in the car and asked a related question, which is. Who is singing in the soundtrack of the Spanish-language version of The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning? And uh, I do believe some people got this correct. It was, in fact, Raquel Del Del Rosario, uh, who is the pop star wife of Fernando Alonso, and she is the voice uh, that Disney used for the soundtrack of the Spanish version of the straight-to-DVD Little Mermaid's prequel, 
Ariel's beginning. So that was a brilliant, brilliant question and a brilliant, brilliant answer, I think. So it also raises a follow del Rosario. It's, there's a follow-up question there, which is where in the hell do you come up with these trivia questions? Well, the answer to that is a secret that I'll never tell. It's kind of like who the Stig is. I'm just not going to say. Alrighty. Except uh, that it's Michael Schumacher. <laughs> Except that it's not really. Except that it's not. Alrighty, but with all the uh, the chaos and confusion um, and all this time off, which has somehow given us less time than usual, uh, we don't have a trivia question for you this week. So um, post whatever interesting, amazing factoid you know about Formula One on uh, any Actually, of the- I, I do have a trivia question. Oh, you do? I do. I do actually have a trivia question. Um, question is, what do you think the trivia question would have been if I actually had time to do a trivia question? Wow, sweet. I think it's pretty reasonable considering that they usually are tied to the race. They usually have some sort of, you know, relevance to the winner of the race or something that happens significant in the race. Or at least the so Little Mermaid. What's that? Or at least the Little Mermaid. Well, you know, or at least Little Mermaid. I mean, it's usually F1 or Little Mermaid. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if you have any, actually, you know, for real though, if you guys have any uh, amazing little uh, F1 factoids or any information then uh, hit us up in any of the variety of ways we talked about and uh we'd be happy to uh either use that as a future trivia question although if you gave everyone the answer um then that may not be so good but uh or at least you know we'll uh thanks for the you know for the feedback either way which brings us to predictions Yes, predictions, and since Jim was actually back uh, for the Hungry Race, he was able to properly predict for Valencia here, and uh, do you want to see how you did? I do want to see how I did. I don't remember what I predicted, though, now. That was like a month ago. I know, I know, which is why it's so great for me. You predicted Lewis Hamilton on pole. Nice, and then I think I did... Congratulations uh, to you. Uh, do you have a Coke? I think you won one. Um, No, I don't. Okay, and you also predicted Mark Webber to win. Hey, how did he finish? Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, ninth, yeah. Yeah, oops. Sorry. But you also predicted Robert Kubitz at 13th, and I honestly don't remember if that's correct or not. Uh, no, 13th spot went to Yarno Truly. Um, Kubica yeah. was 8th. Kubica did get a point, so wow. I, I, I was lowballed on uh, Kubica there. Now, unlike you, I was bold. I actually used... Uh, used the courage I had within me to pick, pick some real answers, and uh, I was even worse than you. I picked uh, Rosberg on pole, Vettel to win, and Boyd in 13th. Oh, Vettel to win. How close were you on that? Well, you know, I, I to be fair, I do not think it was his fault that the engine blew up twice this weekend. Right, but still. To be fair. To be fair, but I, I believe um, 20th, which is about as far away from winning as you can get when there are 20 cars. Yeah, but you know what? You know what? Had he had uh, not been, you know, you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah, we, we weren't asking for, like, you know, a prediction for what would Vettel do if his car were perfect. We're, you know, that's part of what you have to take into account when you do the expert predictions like I do is, you know, the car and the situation and, the you know, the environment. of the Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah all that statistic whatever stuff. And I, I go with my gut. Pal. Okay. But – also, another thing I think it's only fair to point out was the, the 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 next day, the Monday, was opposite day. Yeah, yeah, and whatever. I was kind of preparing for. Yeah, then no, I would have been. Correct. You know what? All right, 
Um, but okay, so we got Spa though. In, in just a week's time, we've got yes. the Spa Fredrikshaw yes. circuit in Belgium, uh, yes. and uh, we've seen Fernando Alonso do amazing things there in the past. Although I don't think his Renault is quite up to uh, where it needs to be to keep to hang with the Bronze and the McLarens. I mean, the McLarens are still still really really up there. Um, I'm not that sure place how. Can also be quite goofy with weather. That's true. There can be there can be rain and whatnot. So uh, I guess what do you what are you thinking for uh, you know for qualifying? I don't know. It's interesting because uh, you know Barrichello on form, and in a more general sense, the Braun seem to be back on form. Um, that being said, the um, McLarens also still look quite strong. Ferraris are you know, Raikkonen's Ferrari anyway is still nipping at the heels. Um, I still think really highly of Rosberg, and they could break into it any time. And, of course, like you said, Alonso is always kind of a wild card as well. So it is getting more difficult every weekend to make any kind of reasonable prediction here. Yes, although that's what we're, that's why that's why people listen to us is for the amazing insights that we bring. Oh, I thought, uh, I thought that was good enough. Oh, no. okay. All right, well, all that being said, I do think that – Spa being the biz, uh, and Vettel having the ability he does, I'm going to put Sebastian Vettel on pole. Okay. And also to win the race. Ooh. Ooh, a Vettel's win, a win from pole. Like there's not any weather or anything ever at Spa. Okay, that's, that's, that's right. an informed prediction. Um, not this coming weekend, now. And... I'm going to give Badur a little bit of credit and put him in 13th, which would be a decent result. That would be amazing for him. Um, okay. So now the spotlight's on you, pal. All right. Well, I think uh, Jensen Button is going to do everything he possibly can to not be behind Rubens again. So even if it means being light in qualifying and he feels he can hold him off during the race, I think Jensen Button is going to make his way to pole. But I think he might wow. be too light. And uh, and actually, I think uh, you know we may end up with um, – what's his name? Hamilton. <laughs> That's the guy. I think with the, yes. with the Kurs and some smart racecraft and possibly some luck with weather, uh, Hamilton may do well. Uh, and and I'm, strategy. I didn't even know your cat raced. Oh yeah. All right. Oh he does. Who's gonna Who's gonna finish thirteenth? Smart guy. What does your statistics and analysis and expert opinion tell you? I was gonna say Sutil, but I'm actually gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with his teammate Fizzy. I think Sutil may actually get into the points there, um, especially if things get rainy and tricky. I think Sutil may do well, but I'm gonna put Fizzy. As You're forgetting spot. that Raikkonen is still on the racetrack, and if uh, Sutil has any chance of scoring points, Raikkonen is none too happy. Won't be having any of that. Yeah, there's that, or maybe he'll send Badur to send to knock him out. So that, that's <laughs> so. But no, I'm gonna I'll go with Fisichella. <laughs> send his send his underling. Go go take him out. Come on, Grandpa, go knock that guy <laughs> off the track. But anyway, just a week's time. Well, uh, we'll have to find out. We'll yes, find out. Well, you never know. This could be our week. And and I can I just say it's uh it's not yet four o'clock in the afternoon here and uh and we're you know getting wrapping up recording the podcast this is going to be one of the earliest that uh, our show is, is ever online having woken up uh, yeah, it's not it's not yet three o'clock where I'm at how about that uh, I know that's like some time travel going on there and the magic uh, of uh the magic of time zones right you know although next week's maybe a little bit late so hang in there and uh, but either way we'll catch up with you in between at f1show.com/slash/interact until then I am Jim Lau and I'm Robin Warner we'll see you then. Drive Moss's car. Okay, what the hell was that? Subway. Bloody hell. <laughs> well, I guess it's actually train. It's not underground.